On the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between. This is Brewers Weekly. Here's Dominic Catronio. All right, positive vibes, positive vibes, y'all. That's all we're looking for right now. Brewers lose two out of three against the Cardinals. They get the sweep over the Royals over the weekend, but really the whole month of May has not been very inspiring. We're going to look ahead to the Rays. Really, I mean, best record in baseball, but they lost a series to the Mets. They look human. Maybe now's the time to get them. They are facing the top of the rotation with Shane McClanahan and Zach Eflin the next two days. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Well, we're going to try to dissect what's going on with Willie Adamas. I think I've got a few ideas to help out Willie Adamas, figure out what's wrong with his attack right now, what's going on with his swing. I've got a few numbers ready to deliver for you guys talking about Willie. Going to look at up and down baseball as far as what the Brewers are doing right now, specifically their offense and the what kind of contact they're putting on the baseball and why it may not be something they want to continue to doing the way that they're doing that. We're also going to look ahead at the upcoming schedule because it's not getting any easier anytime soon. This is sink or swim time. It's not early anymore. I said that on yesterday's Brewers Extra Innings. We are officially not early anymore. We are finding out who you are mode. If folks want to say, oh, Don, we're only a quarter of the way into the season. Well, okay. Well, at the same time, you got to have your trade targets acquired by the time that this quarter of the season is done. You got to know who you're targeting or what you need by the time this quarter is done. Because when this quarter is done, it's the first week of July. And that's going to be here before we know it. The baseball season from now to the All Star All Star break flies by. So be ready for that. I want to open up, though. You made me bust out my rule book, okay? After all the controversy yesterday with should have Rowdy thrown it or should he not have thrown it because he didn't throw it, then the Paul DeYoung hits a two-run homer. I stand by my take of saying, oh, you're mad about Rowdy not trying to turn a double play? Don't give up a two-run homer to Paul DeYoung. That's still my take, first of all. But as far as the rule itself, with Brendan Donovan in the grass on the throw from Rowdy to second base that he did not throw, a lot of folks are freaking out. This is why we have the rule book, y'all. I had it out last night. I was doing some research today. Craig Council knows the rules. Rowdy knows the rules, but he took ownership of it saying, you know what, I should have just tried. I should have just thrown it and see what happens. I understand him saying, I should have just thrown it and seen what happens. But we'd still be in this boat because they would not have called runner interference on that play. No chance. Chris Welsh, broadcaster of the Reds, former big leaguer, does a great job with the Baseball Rules Academy. Uh, if you watch on television, Bill Schroeder references this a lot. And he had a piece on this exact situation. And I can go to the rule book. I can go to the rules, rule 5.09A, subchapter 11. In running in the last half of the distance between home base and first base, while the ball is fielded at the first base, runs outside to the right of the three-foot line or inside to the left of the foul line, the umpire's judgment in doing so interferes with the fielder taking the throw at first base, in which case the ball is dead. That only applies from home to first. And it only applies if... The man on first base cannot field the baseball. But what about, in that situation, running from first base to second base? 
as soon as the runner establishes his lane, and Donovan established his lane as running in the grass on that line, if he veers from that lane for anything other than reaching for the base, that is interference. Meaning, if I'm Brendan Donovan, and I am running on the grass from first to second base, knowing Rowdy Tellez is behind me, getting ready to throw to second base. If I continue to run on that straight line, and the ball hits me in the shoulder, and I do nothing to influence it other than my location on the field, right? I have established I am running on the cut. That's not interference. That is written in the rule of the law. That is not interference, because I didn't do anything. I didn't... Flick my shoulder, I didn't put my hand out, I didn't lean my helmet out. I didn't do anything to interfere with the baseball. I said, here is where I am running, on the infield grass, avoid me. He has that right. He chose that lane, right? You're thinking, well, Dom, I mean, it's not the base path. That doesn't matter in this case. There is no painted base path between first and second and second and third. And it's only a base path for third and home because it's the fair foul line. But the only time the actual base path of what you're thinking of matters is from home to first in that 45-foot line. I bet you've always wondered, why is that 40-foot? What is that extra line for at the halfway mark of home to first? That is technically where the runner is supposed to be in the last half of his sprint to first base. Remember 2019 World Series, Nationals, Astros, Trey Turner got called out on this. There's a little tapper in front of the plate. Brad Peacock fields, turns, and fires to first. It misses Yuli Gurriel. His glove comes off. Ball goes down the right field line. Instead of runners on second and third, Sam Holbrook was the home plate umpire. He called out Trey Turner because he wasn't in the 45-foot line, that halfway mark from there to the base, saying, you're not running in the proper lane there. That's the only time that matters. As far as the three-foot thing, that only matters as far as avoiding a tag. And that's only where the tag happens. So you'll see this every now and then where if I'm like slightly favored to the inside of second base, like if I'm Donovan and they're trying to tag me out, I get three feet to either side to avoid that tag. It's up to umpire's judgment, though. And that's where my tweet comes in. It's a judgment call. It's not reviewable. Judgment calls are hard. And putting the trust in the umpire to make that call in that spot is a lot. And yes, Rowdy says he should have thrown it. I'm fine that he didn't throw it. I truly am fine. Because if it went like we expected to and he throws it in the back of his helmet, that's not interference. But again, the original point of this take is you want to be mad about Rowdy not throwing a guy out, be mad about giving up a two-run homer to Paul DeYoung. That's the end of my rant. They got the call right. I know that's frustrating to hear, but they got the call right. That's why it's helpful to have your handy-dandy rule book nearby. Okay, so I highlight up this thing every year. Obviously, mattered this year with all the changes. I've been on top of all the rule changes trying to make sure that I can help interpret. This is a, an old rule, but let's just drop it and move on. It happened, and I think they got it right. So hat tip to the umpires. Onward and upward. Don't go 0 for 9 with another scoring position. Simply put. 855 616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talking text line. Old National Bank. Get old. One text already in. Championships aren't won in May, but they can absolutely be lost with sufficiently bad play. But let's be honest. They're still above 500. I don't care about standings at this time of year. 
Are you playing good baseball? Right now, the Brewers are not playing that great of baseball. But that also indicates that there's room for growth and there's room for ways to get better. We're going to talk about Willie Adamas and how he can get better coming up next. Just getting rolling here on Brewers Weekly. This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. Uh, looking around the Major League Baseball scoreboard right now, the uh, the Cardinals are certainly awake. Cardinals are getting back on track, guys. They are. Uh, they've got five homers today against the Dodgers. Uh, they are going absolutely berserk. Uh, looking at the score, it's nine two in the bottom of the fourth against the Dodgers. Yikes! That's opening up a four game series. Nolan uh, Nolan Arenado just went yard, so uh, that's cool. Great. Well, at least you don't see them again for four months. Uh, looking ahead to the schedules a little bit later on, but right now we are going to talk about Willie Adamas. What is going on with Willie? Let's let's dive into a few of the basic numbers here first. Remember, he got off to such a great start, and I was praising all of his walks, the fact that he was uh, you know, being a little more patient at the plate. We saw a couple of opposite field homers. He got seven homers. Things were looking up, right? So on the season now, the entire year, he's only hitting 210. He's only got a 306 on base percentage. That would be eight points better than last year's year end on base percentage, but his batting average is 28 points worse. His slugging is way down almost by 100 points. He's at 376 right now. Looking at his splits month to month, in April, 237 batting average, meh. But a 778 OPS is positive, right? It, it It's a little better than league average. He had five homers in April. He drew 17 walks. Still struck out a fair amount. 31 strikeouts and 117 plate appearances, which is just about league average, though, which I'll take that from Willie Adamas. But now here in May, it's come off the rails. A 158 batting average, just three extra base hits, only nine hits total this month in 64 plate appearances. His OPS this month is 503. What is going on with Willie Adamas? Well, let's try to figure things out here. A couple of numbers that jumped out to me right off the bat. He is struggling mightily this season with breaking balls and off-speed pitches. More than usual. He is just 13 for 76 against anything that isn't a fastball. That's a 171 batting average. Only two extra base hits against such pitches. One double, one homer. So that means six of his home runs have come against fastballs. That's not going to be sustainable. Number two, his exit velocity is way down this year. He is not finding the barrel so far. He's in only the 10th percentile, one of the worst percentiles in average exit velocity, and he's in the 15th percentile in hard hit rate. That's not great. Next, third, He's currently with the lowest opposite field contact rate of his career, meaning he is not going to the opposite field at all. Just 18% of balls in play are to the opposite field. And that's something we were praising in April. He had a couple opposite field homers, had a couple doubles to the gap. But since then, it's been everything pole job. And what is going on with that? I saw him working before uh, the Royals series with Ozzie Timmons doing his usual drills where he gets like you know the hand way up on the bat, way up on the handle, kind of like in the midway point, and it's taking one-handed high swings off a tee, 
The whole point of it is to stay inside the baseball and shoot it over the second baseman's head into right field. Try to create that leverage and create that feel of staying inside the baseball in order to let that ball travel and hit the barrel and hit it the other way. But it hasn't translated into game mode yet. And for a guy that's seeing so much off-speed and so many breaking balls, it would feel like that is a good tactic to follow. And here's the next piece of this. He has seen, in the month of May, 56% of the pitches he has seen in the month of May have been breaking balls or off-speed. The book's out on Willie. They are hammering him with curves and sliders and change-ups. That is the sixth highest rate in all of baseball of seeing break non-fastballs in the month of May. Know who's number one? Joey Weimer. Because that's the book on him. We have figured that out. Teams are realizing. Look at Joey Weimer's exit velos, too. They're not there right now, either. For a guy with that much power, his timing's off. He's not recognizing breaking ball right now in the big leagues. And he's getting fooled. And that's when we see the little squibbers up the line or the foul ball straight back on fastballs. Because he's not quite synced up to big league pitching. But we're also seeing that to Willie Adamas, a guy who's been in the show, a guy who's swinging and missing at pitches that he knows he should not be swinging and missing at. What I see with Willie is two things. I see a guy that's staring at his batting average every time he comes up to the plate thinking, oh man, there's that number again. And number two, thinking he can get all that batting average back in one swing. He knows, and talking to Connor Dawson about this, batting uh, hitting coach for the Brewers, that upper third of the zone... Willie's not going to do any damage there. That is not his happy place. But yet, every time, he knows it's a strike. If if they throw a strike, elevated fastball on top of the zone, that's a really hard pitch to locate. You Sometimes you just got to tip your cap. But Willie continues to chase that pitch. And the other gap in his, in his swing and in his zone attack is sliders down and away. When you look out in baseball savant, looking at his zones by swing, it is exactly that. Lower third of the zone and low out of the zone, especially low and away. Lots of swings and misses. And lots of poor contact at the top of the zone. To his credit, swinging at strikes, but at the same time, not doing any damage with said strikes. So, what would I do if I'm Willie? I would start being a little more aggressive first pitch. Here's a guy that sees a first pitch strike only about 50% of the time, which isn't a very big rate. In fact, that's lower year over year. But for somebody that the deeper the count goes, the worse it's going to be for him. Maybe he just needs to put a little damage early, put a little pressure on the on the pitcher as soon as possible. When he's behind in the count this season, he's hitting 167. Three extra base hits of the nine he's got this season have come when he's behind in the count. His on-base percentage falls to 164 when he's behind in the count. But yet on the first pitch, he's hitting 286 when he puts it in play. Just four hits. He's got a double on it as well. I would like to see him be a little more aggressive early in the count. But then you could counter with Dom. That's what's getting him in danger. He's falling behind 0-1-0-2 so quickly, and all of a sudden, now he's striking out. But he's not a guy that as the count goes on, he gets better. With a 3-2 count, only hitting 158. Even with a 3-1 count, he's 0-2. Yes, he's drawn six walks out of a 3-1 count. 2-2, two and two, hitting 100. 2-1 two when he's ahead in the count, 571. 4-7. for seven. 
Even with a hitter's count, 2-0. and He's hitting 167. I would like to see him get aggressive. Let's not let counts travel. Let's see what he can do as far as getting things going, because you know he's not going to get a day off. Craig Council wants to let him play every game because it's such a rare thing in today's day and age to say that you played all 162. Maybe it's wearing on Willie a little bit. Maybe this reunion is going to help him out coming back to Tampa Bay, seeing some old friends. But that's what I would do with I'm Willie Adamas. Let's see, let's see you get aggressive, man. I love that you've been drawing walks, and I appreciate you making that effort. Let's sit dead red. We see a fastball, let it fly. Cool? Let's see what happens the rest of the month of May. Because Willie, they need to get him going, to say the least. If Owen Miller and Christian Yelich are going to continue to provide at the top of the order, the Contreras' and the Adamas' and the Winkers have got to find a way to drive them in. Because that's why the Brewers are averaging less than four runs a game in the month of May. And they just lost two out of three to the Cardinals, despite only scoring a total of uh, four runs over the week. Not great. Take a quick breather. We're going to talk about the upcoming schedule here. This is Brewers Weekly. Misery business. Things are a little miserable right now. Not really. I just love the song. Welcome back, Brewers Weekly. We're with you to the top of the hour. I'm Dominic Catronio. A couple of texts in here. 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620. This one from Chris in Waukesha. Is it just me or the Cardinals the luckiest team in baseball? Everything goes right for them every time they play well against us. Every close call goes for them. That's life in a rivalry. When the other team's playing well, you feel like they're getting everything. When you're playing well, that team feels like you're getting everything. It felt like it yesterday, but I will go back to the numbers. Don't go 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position. Simply as that. You know, it, it... A lot of baseball and a lot of critiques and a lot of life can go back to the old minor league baseball phrase. It's a great philosophy, and you can live your life by this great advice I'm about to give you. You don't like it? Play better. That's it. Don't like it? Play better. That takes care of a lot of things. And in my case, you know, I look at it, like I said, the 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position. Don't give up a two-run homer to Paul DeYoung. Uh, drive in Tyrone Taylor after he was in two inches away from hitting a home run in left center field. Don't like it, play better. The reason why that phrase came about was in the minor leagues. If like you don't like the bus ride, or if you don't like the hotel you're staying in, or if you don't like the, the post-game spread, play better. Move up a level. Move up to the show. That's where you get everything nice. So... Bad bounces only seem like bad bounces when you're losing. Anyway, let's talk about how hard it's going to be. The Brewers' upcoming next five series. Let me read these off to you. At Tampa Bay this weekend. Home for Houston, who are on fire right now. By the way, Jose Altuve is coming back this weekend. San Francisco Giants, here at home, who just took two out of three from the Brewers. They go to Toronto, who are white hot. Then you go to Cincinnati. Now, you may think, oh, it's Cincinnati. Uh, Have you paid attention to Cincinnati? They're not bad. They are not bad. They can pitch. Graham Ashcraft, Hunter Green. They've got Diaz waiting in the back of the bullpen. Jake Fraley is having a new career resurgence. Joey Votto is back. 
Also, sidebar, I'm a big fan of their City Connects. I think those are great. The all-black with the reds and creating their new C Cincy logo. I thought those were great. We make like the crown since it is the real Queen City. Real ones, no. Not Charlotte. That's not the Queen City. Cincinnati's the Queen City. Uh, but anyway, Cincinnati's playing decent. That's not going to be a pushover. That's not going to be like the Royals. It's going to be more like a Tiger series where it's like if you come in underestimating the Reds, they will take two out of three from you from right underneath your nose. So be ready for that. But what about the Cardinals' upcoming schedule? Well, they're beating up on the Dodgers right now. But then after this four-game series with the Dodgers, they face those Cincinnati Reds and Cincy. Then they go to Cleveland, who are trying to get off the ground right now, trying to figure out what's going on with the Guardians. The whole AL Central is just as bad as the NL Central right now. Then they go to Kansas City, which will be, they just took two out of three from the Padres, but who knows what to make of the Padres. And then they go to Pittsburgh. So it's going to get a little bit easier there for the Cardinals. But again, like I say over and over, I do not care about the standings in May. I just don't. So if all of a sudden this gap falls to a game or a two, or even the Cardinals take the lead in the division, don't freak out because I'm here to tell you first, these series are tough. Upcoming for the Brewers versus upcoming for the Cardinals? Eh. But again, it's May. And the beauty of it, I think it's also a good thing that the Brewers have so many games remaining head-to-head late in the season. right? When you're chasing a team, or when you're trying to figure out, are we going to make the playoffs or not? How can we close the gap as quick as possible if there's a gap? Or furthermore, how can we widen the chasm between us and that team in second place? It's by playing them head-to-head. And to have seven games head-to-head in September is something everybody is going to be circled. I remember, and this is the minor leagues, and obviously we can talk about the epic winning streak in 2018 to get into game 163 and what happened there. But this is exactly what happened to me in the minor leagues, where we circled the fact that, oh, we're seeing this team that we're chasing down in you know June, but we don't see them again until the end of the season. And we're actually going to have like six of the last ten games against them. We can make up the gap there. And that's exactly what we did. We won the division on the last day of the season. Feels like 2018 to me. What I'm saying is the reason why we don't look at standings in May is because when you have this many games head-to-head remaining, especially games that matter, you know you can make up a gap very quickly. And given the fact you don't see them until September, let's be honest, these two teams could look very different with additions. Hopefully not subtractions, but additions. So don't freak out over the next week or so, uh, or the next two weeks of seeing results of what's happened with the Cardinals and them going back on track. This is why you built up this buffer. You've got a chance. you got a little breathing room. Most of it is gone now, but you still have a little bit of it. Let's uh, reconvene at the end of June and actually start peeking at the standings, all right, and figuring out what's going wrong. And hopefully you're getting healthy by then. The fact that the Brewers have to encounter this without Brandon Woodruff, now maybe without Wade Miley for an extended period of time. We'll learn more about Wade Miley coming up over the weekend. But let's let it play out. I know it's hard to do sometimes, but we got to let it play out. We're going to talk a little more specifically about the Tampa Bay Rays now. They're the uh, next opponent. Talk about the pitching matchups, what they do so well. Maybe it's a time to catch them vulnerable. I don't know, but let's talk about them coming up next. All right, Tampa Bay Rays, tough opponent, best record in baseball. But maybe a little bit human right now. They just lost the series to the Mets. They lost today by a 3-2 final. Have you paid attention to what Pete Alonso's doing? Yeah, the Mets offense kind of stinks. 
But uh, Pete Alonso's got 16 homers now? Yeah, 16 homers. Holy cow. That's crazy stuff. Uh, 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talking text line. Old National Bank, get old. 855-616-1620. Rays, 32-13. That's a 7-11 winning percentage. They're 19 and 3 at the trop. 19 and 3. That is video game numbers right now. Pitching matchups. Tomorrow, Shane McClanahan, the lefty. <gasps> oh no, it's a lefty. Then he'll be going up against he'll be going up against Adrian Hauser tomorrow. Saturday, Zach Eflin, TBA for the Brewers. And then Sunday, Freddie Peralta against TBA for the Rays. Dive into some of those here in just a second. Tell you a little more about the Rays. Want to get to the phone lines. Doug and Baraboo chiming in here. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. Doug, you're live on Brewers Weekly. Yes, good evening, Dom. You know, um, you, you, I, I enjoyed your numbers on the curveball situation with Weimer and uh, Willie. And it really rang a bell because... Uh, well, I've only been to 11 games, so I watch them carefully. But, you know, to me, uh, Weimer has that, that what I call that wind-up swing, which he really commits himself. And he connects, that ball is going to travel. But I can see what from the numbers you gave uh, with that curveball, why he may be number one and Willie number two. I'm not so concerned about Willie because I think he's got to figure it out because he's got that kind of that uh, wind-up swing also. But with uh, Weimer, he, he's over-exaggerating it, in my opinion. And uh, I could see where that's leading to his problems with that curveball and, and the changeup. And, um, you know, I, hopefully somebody – patience, that's the key word you also said. I, he's he's got to be more patient with it. He can't commit himself that much. Yeah, I appreciate that, Doug. When it comes to Joey, it seems like maybe once a week somebody uh, asks – about Joey Weimer's swing to Craig Council. And I encourage folks, I'll, I'll find it in tweet and I'll share it to folks this week. Joey Weimer's swing in college, this is actually toned down from his swing in college. Swing your swing. Good things happen. It got him to the big leagues for a reason. And it may be easy to say, oh, you just slow it down. It should be fine. This dude's been doing this for years, and it's been working. It's the first time he's hit a little speed bump right now. Now it's his turn to adjust back to big league pitching. You're watching development happen live in the big leagues. That's another factor that I think we've lost sight of in this cold stretch for the Brewers. They are relying a lot on rookies. Weimer and Terang playing every single day. Life comes at you fast, man. Really fast. But I appreciate the call there, Doug. Talking more here about the Rays in this segment. Looking at their uh, roster right now. You may have heard of this guy, Randy Rosarena. Pretty darn good. Thank goodness he's not a Cardinal. He's currently got a 3-4-5 slash line. What does that mean, a 3-4-5? A 300 batting average, a 400 on base, and a 500 slugging. That's pretty darn good. Right now, he's hitting 317. He's got 10 homers tied for the team lead. 36 driven in, a 402 on base, and a 553 slugging percentage. One of the best hitters in baseball right now. He's certainly a candidate for AL MVP at this point in the season. A few other guys that you should know about. What a weird 
start to the season for Brandon Lau. Lau's got eight homers. He's only hitting two oh one. By the way, the Rays lead all of baseball in homers with 87 of them. 87 homers. They have 87 homers and 92 other extra base hits. 87 doubles, five triples. That's wild. That is so wild. Uh, Josh Lowe. Remember, it's Brandon Lau and Josh Lowe. Spelt the name, spelt the same, pronounced differently. Josh Lowe has 10 homers, 11 doubles. He's also stolen seven bags. Wander Franco, the guy that was the reason why the Rays traded Willie Adamas to the Brewers because he was coming up. He has been as advertised since he's finally healthy. 292 average, 14 stolen bases. This team can hit, man. Harold Ramirez has been great. Isak Paredes is hot right now, too. They are really darn good. Now, the question is, will their pitching hold it together? They are dealing with a lot of injuries and a lot of folks want to say, "Oh, they destroy arms." They're they're a team that you know, moving guys up and down and asking so much out of their out of their pitchers is the reason why all these guys get hurt all the time. That's not the case. Uh, I recommend following Kyle Bodie, spelt like body B O D D Y, uh, on Twitter. He's the founder of Driveline up in Seattle, and he talks about the fact that everyone wants to point to Driveline. And yes, I understand this is saying the guy that runs Driveline is not causing arm injuries. I get that. But he makes a point that the Rays make a habit of acquiring cheaper pitchers knowing that they are injury-prone, but while they are playing, they have a formula, they have a tactic that can develop them into a more efficient, better pitcher. You, you think about it all the time. Oh, my God, they made that guy great. Oh, my God, they made that guy great. But then you see the guy gets hurt. But that's why they're so cheap, and that's why Tampa Bay is able to afford them with one of the lowest payrolls in all of baseball. They do have momentum in St. Petersburg to try to build a new stadium, whether it's St. Petersburg or Tampa. But they're a darn good team, man. Kevin Cash, one of the best managers in the game. It's going to be a tall task. Shane McClanahan, Zach Eflin, then TBA. And for the Brewers, it'll be Adrian Hauser, TBA, Freddie Peralta. We'll have Brewers extra innings after every single game this weekend. Uh, some odd start times, given the fact that they are on the Eastern time zone, but they have a like a post-game concert one of these days. So it's a 5.40 first pitch tomorrow. Then on Saturday, it'll be a 3.10 first pitch. We're on the air at 2. I've got Brewers warm-up for you. Then on Sunday, a 12.40 first pitch. Uh, we've got Brewers warm-up 11.30 that day as well. So I uh, hope you can join us. Hope you can have a, a grand old time this weekend, hanging out, listening to some Brewers baseball. Josh and Lane will have the call for you down there from St. Petersburg. All right, let's talk about some philosophies and hitting philosophies here with the Brewers so far this year. I teased this a little bit in yesterday's Brewers Extra Innings. Let's talk about ground balls and fly balls up next. Tweet coming in here. I'm at Dom underscore Catronio on that site. This is Brewers Weekly. This is from Brock. Will Winker's power ever come back? As a DH, we need more power for him personally. If Hero was healthy, I'd rather see him be the DH against right-handed pitching. Uh, I get it, Brock. I, I think Winker, this should be the week that we start seeing some results from him because he's clearly seeing the ball very well. He's drawn a few walks this month. And remember, his April was so stop and start because he had you know, he got off to a good start. He started torching the ball in that Mets series. Then he had to miss the entire Diamondback series, miss two out of three, or three out of four of the Padres series because he had that bronchitis flare-up on him. Then he had the oblique. Then he wasn't quite right against Seattle. Then he came home and he was ice cold. 
Then they saw three consecutive lefties from the Angels. And it's just like, stop and start April. But now he's getting a little more consistent playing time. I doubt he's in there tomorrow against Shane McClanahan because lefty-lefty. But he's seeing the ball well. I think it's coming. I, I think Jesse Winker is really close, and I think Bryce Terang is really close to really having a good finish to their month. I really like what I've been seeing from their at-bats, their plate discipline. Winker specifically, his metrics suggest that he's close. His hits have been flares, but yet his foul balls have been bombs, and I know foul balls don't count, but he's close. Terang, we've seen him up the middle again all of a sudden. We've also seen him, I mean, the home run against the Royals, the left center field. I think that's a great sign of a Harry game back on track, but a good question there from Brock as well. I want to talk a little philosophy stuff here. And this happened, I talked about this in yesterday's Brewers Extra Innings, when you had the leadoff walk in the top of the sixth inning, but then Rowdy Telez grounded into a double play to end that threat. The Brewers would get two more guys on, but they couldn't do anything with it. The ground ball this season has been hurting the Brewers. And right now, I understand the philosophy of don't strike out at all costs, but the Brewers still strike out a fair amount. And still, you're not going to do a lot of damage on ground balls. So let's, let's look at the numbers here. League average by team for ground ball rate is 43.5%. That is league average. The Brewers are four points higher than that at 47.5%. That may not sound like a lot, but when you think about that, I mean, that's four more ground balls out of 100 if you're hitting them in play. That could be four more double plays. And oh, by the way, the Brewers are tied for baseball's lead in grounded into double plays because they hit so many ground balls. In fact, their ground ball rate is tied for the third highest in baseball. And their batting average on set ground balls is just 227. League average is 248. They're 21 points low from league average on just ground balls. So not only do they hit a lot more ground balls than most other teams, they're not doing anything with them. What do you do damage with? We heard Christian Yelich talk about this after his hot series against the Royals. When you put the ball in the air, you're doing damage. That's what we've been you know, hearing from the fans about Christian Yelich's approach and the fact that he pulls ground balls to second baseman all the time. Fly ball rate, league average, 26%. The Brewers, one and a half points down at 24.5. That is the 23rd, eighth worst fly ball rate in baseball. Pretty bad. But here's where it gets encouraging. This is where the philosophy thing comes in. League average on fly balls is 268. But this is where the Brewers are better than league average. They're hitting 287, so nearly 20 points better. That's ninth best batting average on fly balls. So I present a proposition, especially with runners on base. They've only got 138 runs batted in, which just with runners on. That's not necessarily runners in scoring position. That is fifth worst in baseball. Fifth fewest, 138. Only one team below them was considered a playoff contender, or two teams below them are considered playoff contenders, the Guardians and the Padres. Now, no one expected the Padres to be down there, but I think a lot of people expected the Guardians to be down there. So my proposition is this. You're clearly doing well putting the ball in the air. You're getting success. I would rather see the adjustment being made 
And maybe the Brewers don't share this philosophy. I just want to put that disclaimer out there first. Maybe the Brewers should think about elevating. And I know, oh, Dom, it's so easy for you to say that from behind a microphone. Yes, you're right. It is easy for me to say from behind a microphone. I'm giving them respect and understanding that it's hard to play Major League Baseball. But maybe, as opposed to just poking a ground ball and rolling into a double play with runners on base at the expense of not striking out, I would almost rather them either strike out or B, hit a pop-up or fly a ball to center field. Then you can see damage trying to be done in that situation, right? And we're also not going to turn around and say, oh, they're just flying out to center field all the time. No, I just told you why I think they're going to do more damage on balls in the air. Does that make sense? The numbers seem to say so. The Brewers don't have as much speed anymore. Not with Mitchell not in the lineup every day. So, and we'll see what happens with Christian Yelich this week. Hopefully he comes back. I mean, the the back's always a concern, but he seems like, I think he's going to be playing enough this weekend. Take our last break and come back and wrap up the show after this. Thanks to everybody who chimed in tonight. Just last couple minutes here of the show. All right, Brewers extra innings all weekend long. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, from St. Petersburg. Well, I'll be here in Milwaukee, but the team will be in St. Petersburg. Then they're back home. Big homestand coming up. The Astros, Monday through Wednesday. Then a four-game set with the San Francisco Giants, Thursday through Sunday. So we hope to see you at the ballpark. We will have Brewers extra ratings for every game coming up this week, with the exception of Wednesday. So plenty of baseball coming your way. And we know you're going to play because the fact that under a dome, it's the trap. It'll drop a can of field. So just quick couple of roster notes and a couple of uh, injury notes here. A reminder that we won't get resolution on Wade Miley and probably till through the weekend on how long he's out. He has already been placed on the injured list. So how will he react to that? And how will he the imaging be read and things of that nature for his last strain is going to be a big, big concern for the Brewers. We'll see who's going to start on Saturday, given the fact that that is still listed as TBA. Uh, the, the guys that they have added, they've called up Jake Cousins. He pitched in yesterday's game. J.B. Bukowskis, yes, that's how you pronounce it, Bukowskis. I know that because I had him in minor league baseball back when we were both in, both in the Astros organization. J.B. has had a tough go of it with shoulder injuries, but seems like he's healthy now. He can throw a couple of innings. Saw Trevor McGill get in the game yesterday, too. Man, those were some flames. But I wonder if Colin Ray is going to come back up to start on Saturday. That remains to be seen. Uh, another injury note as well. Aaron Ashby has been cleared to play catch. Aaron Ashby will start playing catch on Monday. Just slow process getting going right now. They have not quite shut the door on him pitching this season, but it doesn't seem likely. But we'll have to believe it. When we see it, if he does come back, it will obviously be out of the bullpen. And uh, Luis Arias is eligible to come back at the uh, end of the month. That will be his first day eligible, May 31st. Off the 60 doesn't mean he necessarily is going to be ready. And then we'll see what happens for making room for him on the roster. That's going to do it for this one. For Justin Pottinger, our producer, I'm Dom Catronio. Keep on swinging.